speaking, for not being here, but aren't we delighted that he seems to be making good progress and uh, we look forward to his full recovery. Thank the Lord that he could go through what he has in this week because it has the potential of blessing him and you, the congregation, as a result of it. And I thank him and the session for allowing me to be in this pulpit. It is a privilege not to be overlooked, but to be expressed in gratitude. Thank you for letting us be here. We've been here on occasion through the years, and it's good to see you again and be with you for this, uh, the Lord's service. I appreciate Matthew, too. That boy's good. <laughs> Come on back up here and preach, Matthew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I told him uh, as we were chatting a little bit beforehand that uh, sitting there, you don't always think about all the things that are occurring up here and how, how many wheels are turning in a person's mind at one point. The Sunday of Hurricane Katrina, immediately coming on uh, the next day, uh, Monday, was in Newton, Mississippi. In the midst of the service, with the wheels spinning and the mind being two or three steps ahead of where you really are right in the service, so you don't mess it up and forget something, I garbled the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you think that was humorous. <laughs> I have to admit that I did too at the time. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer. I started laughing at myself. No one else laughed. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're standing up here, the wheels are turning. And sometimes you're two or three steps ahead. And occasionally you will mess it up. But thank you, Matthew. It helps so much for this uh, to occur the way it did in this service. I'm Bebo Elkin. Uh, my wife Jan is with me, and thank you for the privilege of being here. I invite you to turn with me to the scripture reading for the morning. It's in the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee, we learn in the Lord's word. And so we read this passage of scripture with our sanctification in mind. God has said in His Word, Now the Passover and unleavened bread was two days off, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize Him by stealth and kill Him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, lest there be a riot of the people. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perf perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She, is not, she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you always 
have with you. And whatever you wish, you can do to them. Good, uh, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Let us pray asking His blessing as we give attention to it. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this teaching because it shows us so much about Jesus as it shows us so much about ourselves. Would you, Spirit of God, choose to be at work in our lives? Would you choose to be changing us? To be making us more like, well, this lady, yes, as she was becoming more and more like Jesus. For we ask this blessing in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. In my experience, and I'm pretty old, in my experience, it seems to me that the way we do sermons, excuse me, do funerals these days, that way may be changing a bit. I've been to a lot of funerals, have you? In the year 19, we had, I think, 42 funerals at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson. That's a lot. We've buried two first cousins in the last uh, six weeks or so. We buried another person at First Pres during this past week. I'm not a preacher. That's okay. Went to seminary. That's okay. Worked for you with RUF for nearly 35 years. But a person like me and a family like ours with lots of cousins, at one point we had some 55 first cousins in my family. That meant we had a lot of uncles and aunts. (laughs) I think. (laughs) A lot of uncles and aunts and a lot of cousins. Did a lot of funerals for uncles and aunts. And now we're into the cousins. All I'm meaning to say is that I've had a fair amount of experience in attending and participating in funerals through the years. It seems to me like funerals, the way we do them, may be changing just a little bit. We're seeing more eulogies in funerals. I'm not observing good or bad. That's not the point. I'm just observing. More eulogies. I've seen as many as uh, uh, six uh, grandchildren speaking at a funeral. That's a little different, isn't it? From my early days of experience. And there's another thing that's a little different too. Uh, We see more often now than we did in the past a family burial and then a memorial service. I, I, I think I may like that. I'm not sure. I haven't really spent much time trying to figure out which preference I would have on exactly how we're doing funerals these days. But we are a changing a bit. And so it is appropriate for us to use the word memorial these days, a memorial service. 
Or here in this event, in this little passage, we have what we might call a memorial event. I looked up a definition. What's a memorial? Here's a definition. Something as a holiday intended to celebrate or or honor the memory of the person or an event. Look at what Jesus said again in verse 9. And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. Jesus is saying, let me tell you, this is a memorial event. You will remember this woman with affection and appreciation. Jesus said, whenever the gospel is preached, you're going to hear about her. And we can learn a whole lot in this passage, not only about remembering what the lady has done, but remembering about Jesus toward whom she has made this offering. One man said, this is the greatest praise ever spoken by Jesus regarding an act. This is the, this is the highest praise that Jesus ever offered up about a human action, one man said. And we learn more about the lady as we're learning more about Jesus, as he's teaching us more about ourselves. My first little point is this. Honor worthy. Now who in this passage is actually worthy of honor? Well, you and I ought to say, shouldn't we, that Jesus is worthy of honor. At this point, Jesus is, number one, a miracle worker. By this time in His ministry, He has performed and acknowledged 35 or so miracles already. And we haven't even gotten to the crucifixion, resurrection, and all of the events thereafter. 35 miracles. From John 2, with uh, uh, catching, excuse me, John 2, turning the water into wine, to catching the fish in John 21, all of these miracles. He is healed. He has raised people from the dead. He has changed the course of nature. And we are approaching the cataclysmic event in all of human history. That is, redemption accomplished and applied because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Miracles. Well, what in the world would we say a miracle is? We need to make a little distinction here just as a matter of thought. A little distinction here. There are things that we call providence. Sometimes we even call them extraordinary providence. And there are miracles. Okay, who in here remembers your catechism? Matthew, you're going to have to have to quote catechism at a Presbyterian licensure exam. If you if you know the first forty answers, I promise you. <laughs> and just quote it. <laughs> Nobody can fault it. <laughs> your catechism. Catechism number eleven, my favorite. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing 
all His creatures and all their actions. We live by the fingerprints of God being all over us all the time. Providence. And there are times when we are unusually surprised by God's providence. And we call it extraordinary providence. Wow! Who would have thought that? And then there are miracles. Miracles. Quote, A miracle is something done without recourse to the ordinary means of production. Wow. Walking on water. Raising people from the dead. Healing. Feeding. All of those things that Jesus did. Now who is worthy of remembrance? You know, the first point is, now who's worthy? Jesus is worthy. A little bitty sub-point here. This is Jesus. He's also a crowd gatherer. He has gathered thousands of people behind Him. He has the crowds who are wanting Him to do something stupendous. In Matthew Matthew 14, He fed 5,000 people. In Mark 8, He fed 4,000 people. They are startled by Jesus and they're gathering around Him. Our little event... The, the, the disciples are gathered and this lady does a little bitty thing. Who is worthy of honor? Who ought to be memorialized? She is memorializing Jesus for us in this passage. This is also on Jesus on His way to the crucifixion. Note the triumphs that Jesus has experienced even on the previous Sunday, Palm Sunday as we call it. Wow. People too often wanted him to do things that he was not intending to do. He has done many, many things, though, worthy of honor before Mary anointed him with this oil. Now, who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. He's about to experience the greatest humiliation that He did in all of life. We say, wow, it was Christmas, wasn't it? Wow, He was born in a manger, wasn't it? He was born in a a little place where animals were fed. No medical uh, uh, resources around. Oh, that was humiliation. Oh, He lived like we do. He experienced what we experience. Oh, humiliation that God would become man. But look at what God, the man, is about to endure with his death and his body being in the tomb. To come to the exaltation in a moment, yes. Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation, the catechism rightly teaches us, Christ's humiliation consisted in His being born and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross, and His being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. That's a game changer. That changed everything. Throughout all of the Old Testament day, the saints looked forward. Since the uh, day all the saints looked back to, 
the cataclysmic event that is the greatest game changer in human experience. Now, who deserves to be memorialized? Well, of course, Jesus. Who should be worried? You? Do you get, do you get distraught about things like elections? Do you get distraught about circumstances that you are encountering? Do you get distraught? We have no need to be distraught. Because Jesus is the game changer for all of us. I make your promise, okay? Make your promise. Here, Bebo's going out on a limb to make you a promise. You're going to die. (laughs) And you know what? As sad as it will make us, it's okay. Because Jesus is the game changer. Point number two in my outline is honor intended. In John 12, we find out that the woman is really Mary the sister of Martha. We understand from Scripture that anointing is not something terribly unusual. We remember all the way back into Psalm 133 how there was an anointing of the great high priest as oil flows over his head, acknowledging reverence, acknowledging that God's blessing was falling upon him. And so Jesus is being anointed. Imagine that. This lady has the privilege of anointing Jesus, showing humility, love, and real faith. Jesus suggests to us in this passage that she was anticipating what was about to happen. And she's anointing his body before his death instead of afterwards. Here's a quote. I like this quote. And the house was filled, and to all time his house, the church, is filled with the odor of the ointment. Another man says, Her anointing represents a sum of money roughly equivalent to a laborer's wage for the greater part of a year. How much would you give? Would you give most of a year's salary for this little bitty event with people around her scolding her for what she had done? Apparently, Mary could have had this little vial for maybe most of her life. We're not told that. But it was a prized possession, an extremely prized possession. And she says, Here, let me do this for Jesus. She may have put it aside. 
in days gone by against the day of Jesus' burial. She didn't hold back anything. And they were scolding her. How much of your retirement funds would you give? (laughs) How much of your possessions would you donate? She was putting it on the line, wasn't she? This was a demonstration of real courage on her part and a demonstration of her acknowledging who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. A quote, The greatest, most direct, most difficult, but the most blessed thing that ever a sinful human being was able to do, namely, to receive the Lord's Word in all simplicity and proceed to act. This did Mary. And this shall maintain her memory on earth till the end of time. Nothing was too good. Not a thing was too good. What's too good? Certainly the session didn't ask me to say anything. Certainly it didn't come from Mark's thoughts. What do you give? What kind of time and energy do you expend for the Lord's work? How gracious an attitude are you to serve in the Lord in all that you do? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He owns any cattle that you own (laughs) here in the central part of Mississippi. Honor intended. And the third little point I would call honor appropriate. In redemption accomplished and applied. Matthew, you've got to know that book. Remember the title of that book, John Murray, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. It's one of the best. Quote John Murray all the time and nobody can fault you with that either. (laughs) The Lord through His vicarious atonement accomplished the greatest exchange that could be anticipated. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him who knew no sin to sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so here we are at the point. We've acknowledged the humiliation of Jesus, but how about acknowledging the exaltation of Jesus? Catechism. Christ's exaltation consisted in His rising again from the dead on the third day and ascending up into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father and in coming to judge the world at the last day. Do you see how His honor ought to be magnified by those who experience the benefits of redemption accomplished and applied? Do you see? It ought to be demonstrated in the lives of all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is wasted on Jesus I got that little sentence from a commentary. Nothing is wasted on Jesus. 
it might seem to be that this little vial of really expensive perfume, what a waste, what a waste. That could have been sold and the money the money could have helped feed 200 people for 100 days. I'm exaggerating because I don't know. But look, nothing is wasted on Jesus. Take comfort from this little act of Mary as she does what she can. One man called it heroic piety. Heroic piety. Let us anoint Christ as our beloved, one man wrote. Kiss Him with a kiss of affection and anoint Him with our, as our sovereign. Kiss Him with a kiss of allegiance. Did He pour out His soul unto death for us? And shall we think any box of ointment too precious to pour out upon Him? Look at the comparison. Can I give you a little illustration notwithstanding? (laughs) I find it interesting at times in discussions with seminary students uh, because they are perusing every question that could be imagined. (laughs) And here's a question that comes up at times. Giving, do I give on on the basis of net or gross? (laughs) And I say, do you want God to be gracious on the basis of net or gross? (laughs) Uh, the, The Bible doesn't really spell out the conclusion that I'm suggesting to you. I know that. I'm making a little bit of a leap here. In the Old Testament tithe, 10%. In the New Testament, grace and generosity expressed to all of us in ways that we could not even have imagined. And how do we respond? How do you respond? In what ways can you respond to the Lord? Well, one of the ways is, isn't it? Obedience unto the revealed will of God. Wherein is the moral law summarily comprehended? The moral law is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. God has given us the rule book, He's given us the map. He's given us the explanation. little side event here. Two weeks from tomorrow, Lord willing, I should be in Greenville, South Carolina to teach a class at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. It's a wearing week from nine in the morning to five in the afternoon. Five days. Have you ever thought of it like this? In a class, one person has got to be paying attention all the time. Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning. It is wearying. The students are sitting there playing on their computer, and you know, they may be playing solitaire or something. I don't know. (laughs) But somebody's got to be paying attention. (laughs) The class is entitled Ethics. (laughs) And I tell them the first day, the first 10 minutes. 
We could solve this. We can save you some money and you can leave now. (laughs) Two sentences. You never have the right to do wrong. Isn't that pretty good? I didn't craft it. A former campus minister gave it to me many years ago when he was a campus minister. So you, you, you probably heard it many times coming, coming through seminary classes. The other sentence is, you never have the right to give anyone else the right to do wrong. Close book, let's leave. How do you honor the Lord? One good way is to keep in mind His revealed will about how we're to be acting. We're different. We beat to the we 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 march to the real drum beat. We march to the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. By giving of your time, energy, possessions, whatsoever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. What would you do for your children? We even have some sitting here, don't we? What would you do for your children? And some of us who've gotten old enough might ask, uh, what would you do for your grandchildren? Would you die an untimely death for those whom you love dearly? Let's just say yes. Thankfully, we're not in that position, are we? But let's just say yes. We love those who are dear to us, don't we? How do we express our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior? What would you do for others to know the Lord Jesus? Samuel Rutherford the Puritan said this, Others will follow you if they see you strong in the Lord. Others will follow you if they see you strong in the Lord. Rise up, O man of God. Rise up. We have the privilege of giving, as Mary did, all that we can offer in service to our Savior. Those who honor Christ will also be honored by Him. It's amazing. I'm bringing you all the way back to the introduction. Those who honor the Lord will be honored by Him. Look at what Jesus said about Mary. And realize that no service to the Lord is overlooked. the sometimes overlooked memorial of Mark 14, verses 1 through 9. Let's pray. God, would you bless us with the intent of this teaching that we might know better how to love you and serve you. For we pray asking in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Mr. Pavone. If you would please stand for a hymn of commitment and trust. Tis so sweet.